<laughs> Very good. Well, our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8, which is all of Psalm 121. And this is one of the uh, songs of ascents. This is what people would be singing as they came up to Jerusalem for the various um, festivals. And, um, and even the first lines, as you kind of picture what it would be like to be going up to Jerusalem. And, of course, Jerusalem up high on a hill. The temple is up there as well. But there are a lot of hills in the area, and people tended to put these various um, high places <laughs> on the tops of hills, these different places for worshiping these other gods. And so uh, this psalm even opens by saying, you know, when I look around at all the options I have of where to place uh, my hope and my trust and my faith, um, I know that my help doesn't come from any of those other things, but only from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. With that in mind, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we do pray that this morning you would help us to hear your word. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to hear it, to understand it, to be uh, ready to receive it into our lives, and to live it as we go forth from here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Turning then to our New Testament reading, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. Paul writing about an interaction he had with Peter, Peter also known as Cephas, also known as Simon, Guy's got a lot of names. Same guy. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. 
For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be attained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned last week, we are actually in the middle of a sermon series through the book of Genesis, and we are quite a ways into it. We are about 90% of the way through our series in the book of Genesis, Um, but that's not what we're going to look at this morning. (laughs) We're taking a break for last week, and this week we'll get back to it next week, and we will finish that um, going through that book. But we're going to take a break for a couple reasons, and one of them is that as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we have noticed kind of from page one of Genesis that it has been pointing us forward to Jesus. We have seen that, I mean, good grief, the way that the book of Genesis opens is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And he says, let there be light, and there was light. He speaks and it happens. And so we see this authority of God, but we also see this speaking uh, creation. And then we see that John actually opens his uh, gospel account. He's telling the story of Jesus. He begins the whole thing by saying, in the beginning, just repeating Genesis, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. There's that in the beginning again. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The very first that verse of Genesis points us to Jesus, says John. And as we've been going through uh, the whole book, we keep seeing that it's pointing to somebody that's got to come who is a human person. But they have to do something that no human person can actually do. And so it has to be God that does it. And so the whole way through, we're looking at somebody who's going to come from Eve, somebody who's actually going to come from the line of uh, Seth, somebody who's going to come from the line of Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Judah. And as we keep going down, we uh, hear more and more about the specifics of what this person is going to have to, uh, all the criteria they're going to have to meet. And we go, this this is a big job description. It has to be a person, but they have to do something that no person can do. And, um, and this is where we get this message of Easter. You know the story. I hope you know the story. If you don't, we're going to read it here in a little bit. But I hope that you do know the story already. In fact, this is what we read, or close to what we read in First um, Corinthians chapter 15, read part of that. But he says in verse 14, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And again, uh, if, you, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're, you are still in your sins. Uh, then those 
also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the message of Easter, is Jesus being raised from the dead. And Paul says this is the thing that matters more than anything else. That all the rest of it goes away if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. None of the rest of it matters if he has not been raised from the dead. So hopefully you've heard that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he is the one who is a human person and yet has done what only God could do. In fact, you may have heard people say this before about um, how Jesus never claimed to be divine, like he never said, I am God, that kind of sentence. But if you read through the Gospels, like everything Jesus is saying and everything he's doing, if you know your Old Testament, you're like, wait a second. He's doing things that only God can do. He's saying things that only God can say. This is one of the things that got him in trouble with people who were saying that he was committing blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. But this is what we see. In, uh, and it's the kind of thing where anybody can make that claim. There was this, uh, this time where Jesus has somebody who is paralyzed in front of him. And he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And people start complaining that he's doing what only God can. Only God can forgive sins. You can't do that. And how does Jesus respond? He says, which is easier? Say your sins are forgiven or to tell him to take up his mat and walk? (laughs) On the one hand, it'd probably be easier to heal somebody physically than it would to actually forgive their sins. Only God can do that. On the other hand, Anybody could claim to forgive sins, (laughs) and who would know? But if you tell him to take up his mat and walk, and he doesn't, everybody knows. (laughs) And so he says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or say take up your mat and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he says to the man, take up your mat and walk. And he does. And so it's the action of, of healing him physically that shows that Jesus has the authority that only God has. I need to fast forward to the resurrection. Why does the resurrection matter so much? Because anybody could claim to be this Messiah, this one that has been promised all the way back from Genesis. Anybody could make that claim. In fact, a lot of people did make that claim. But that's really hard to back it up. And especially when one of the things that it's going to take to back it up is to die and then come back to life. You notice that when we're reading uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that's the thing that Paul kept talking about is this line, according to the scriptures. That he had to die according to the scriptures. He had to raise life according to the scriptures. In other words, this is part of what that job description entailed. Whoever it was that was going to fill this role Scripture had already said, this is one of the things that means you're going to have to do. You have to die, and then you have to come back to life. As I said earlier, it has to be a person, but they have to do something that no person can do. This is uh, the, the message of Easter, because it is in his resurrection that everything else 
hangs together. It is when he is raised from the dead, that's just like when he healed the man and says, now you know that this is so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. It's his own resurrection that lets us know that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so it's important that we know this story. And uh, like I say, you probably already have heard it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little Easter pop quiz. I'm a big fan of giving pop quizzes because I'm not the one taking it. (laughs) But I want to ask you some questions. Don't look in your Bibles yet. You can in a little bit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us about Jesus being raised from the dead. And specifically this morning, we're going to be thinking about, don't put it up there yet. No, not yet. Go back one. You guys almost read the Bible in church. Um, It's a close one. Um, No, we'll get to that in a second. But I want you to be thinking, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of Jesus raising from the dead. But we're going to specifically be thinking about Matthew and how he has uh, told the story of Jesus raising from the dead. And and I'm going to ask you seven questions. These are not multiple choice. You do not need to answer them out loud. But you certainly may turn to your neighbor and answer them quietly if you like. Optional. Okay. You can answer them out loud to me if you want to. First question. You know that uh, when Jesus was placed in the tomb, they put the stone over the entrance, and there were some people who were uh, guards that were there guarding the tomb, right? Okay. Question is, were the guards still there when the stone rolled away? According to Matthew, were the guards still there when the stone rolled away? I said these aren't multiple choice, but this one, I mean, it's yes or no. (laughs) Go ahead and lock in your answer now. Second question, what (laughs) what did the angel say to the women at the tomb? What is it the angel said? Question three. Were the women afraid after the angel spoke to them? Question four. What did Jesus say to the women? Same thing as what the angel said? Different from what the angel said? So, five, who paid the guards to spread a false report? Guards were actually paid to spread a false report. Who paid them? Six, how did the disciples respond to seeing Jesus on the mountain in Galilee? What was their response to seeing him alive there? And seven, finally, what did Jesus say to the disciples on the mountain in Galilee? Same thing as what he said to the women earlier? Something different? What did he say? Before we even 
read this where you'll see all the answers. <laughs> um, before we read it, how do you feel about how you did on that? As well as you thought you might? You feel like you know this story as well as you thought you did? <laughs> I mean, come on. Some of you were up here earlier, and as I'm going through this, um, and you guys knew. I mean, even at a very young age, you know this story. You've heard this story. But then you start getting into the details, and it's like, well, kind of know the story. <laughs> Let's hear how Matthew tells this. Um, this is Matthew chapter 28. And now you can be listening for all those things in particular. As much like last week, the, um, the important thing for today is to hear, really hear, what this says. And I'll have some comments afterwards, but the main idea is to hear this. Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away, while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And how did you do? Were you able to pick up some more of those details as we went through <laughs> after having been quizzed on it, having uh, those finer points tested. Do those details matter? Do you hear the story differently with those details included? 
We're not going to have time to go through all of those things, so I will leave that for your future meditation. Um, But I do want to point this out. There were several things that people were told. The angels, or the angel told the women, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where you lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. They have been told the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus comes to the women and says, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I find it fascinating that when Jesus appears uh, to them and he has a message for them, everything he says, they've already been told. Isn't that bizarre? The angel already told them everything that Jesus said. He says, do not be afraid. The angel said, do not be afraid. He says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Uh, They said, then go quickly and tell his disciples. uh, And he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And he said, he told them, there they will see me. And the angel had said, there you will see him. It's the same message. Why does he have to say it to them? Why does he have to tell them what they already know? Why am I telling you now what you already know? We need reminders <laughs> often. We need to hear again and again to make sure that our memories aren't fooling us, that we hear it again. I imagine that these women who go away from the tomb, afraid still, yet filled with joy, go away, and at some point along the way, start going, did that really happen? Is that really what they said? Is this the message? I mean, we got so caught up in what they were saying and the the fact that they were there at all and that Jesus is gone and all the good news of all that. What exactly are we supposed to be saying again? And then Jesus shows up and says, it's this. Okay, good. And so they get a reminder and a refresher and a reinforcement on what this message is that they are to tell the disciples. They're not the only ones who are told what to, uh, to do and to say. We saw the chief priests also telling the soldiers, those guards, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. See, the women weren't the only ones who were afraid that day. And if you remember earlier, it said in this great twist of irony, you have uh, the guards who are guarding the tomb of someone who's supposed to be dead. And it says that they were so afraid of the angel that they shook and they became like dead men. So at the very day when uh, the dead man that they're supposed to be guarding is alive, these alive soldiers become like the dead. And they do so out of fear. And then it's out of fear that they accept the money. 
and spread the false report because they are afraid of getting into trouble. That's what the chief priests and the elders said. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him. He'll keep you out of trouble. And of course, I'd asked the question earlier who it was that paid the guards to spread this false report. It was the chief priests and the elders. These are the same people who had earlier been uh, those to pay Judas to betray Jesus. And now even after they get this report from the guards, hey, here's what happened, by the way. This angel came and rolled the stone away. There was an earthquake and... And the chief priests, instead of hearing this message, double down on their earlier way of life. They're afraid of losing, uh, losing power in the community. And so they double down on it. Pay even more to just keep the lie going. Unwilling to respond to the truth. Then we get... Uh, to what's known as the Great Commission. The way that Matthew ends this whole story. He began his gospel, this good news of Jesus, with a genealogy. Showing how Jesus had met all these genealogical requirements. And he was this fulfillment of everything the Old Testament had been leading to. And then he's told all the things that Jesus has been doing and saying that only God can do and only God can say. And he gets to the end of this whole thing. And we see Jesus who has now died and now has been raised to life again. His disciples come to him and then Jesus says, okay, here it is. This is now how you are to respond to all of that. Here's what you are to go and do. Here's what you are to go and say. And this doesn't just apply to them then, but to us now as well. Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that. You've got the chief priests and the elders who are paying money trying to hold on to whatever power they have. You have Pilate who asked Jesus earlier, you know, don't you know that I have the authority to put you to death? And Jesus says, you don't have any Authority other than what's given to you by my father. Same for everybody else. But Jesus says, all authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, and he doesn't just make the claim. A lot of people can make that claim. He just came back from the dead. He can make this claim, right? Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? How do we make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is how we do it. There are a lot of things that we spend our time on that aren't this. And we do it in the name of Jesus. But this is what he's given us to do. As our resurrected Lord and Savior, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, he says to us, go make disciples. We say, I don't know how to do that. Well, here's how to do that. Baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, including them in this family of faith. And then also, 
teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's a lot more than teaching to obey our own good ideas or what we think makes a lot of sense these days. But teaching the things that Jesus has commanded that we are to carry out as his ambassadors, as his representatives, as those who are teaching people to actually follow Jesus. And once we actually understand how big this task is, our response should be, I, I don't think I can do that. That is too big for me to do. Fair point. But then he follows it with, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is a time uh, in Jesus' ministry where he is um, out in the wilderness area and away from the towns, large crowd of people. They're hungry. The disciples say, let's send them away. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. We can't do that. You know how much money it would take to buy enough food to feed all these people? We don't have it. We do not have what it takes to feed these people. He says, what do you have? Bring it here. And then he takes the little that they have, and he turns it into enough. In fact, more than enough. And then he gives it to his disciples who give it to the people. And so they are able to obey the command that he gave them to feed the people, but not on their own. Only in obedience to what he has uh, commanded them to do. Only because he is there with them. And so when we look at this call for us today to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, we don't do this on our own, but we do this in response to what Jesus has commanded, and we do this with the presence of the living Christ with us. The title of the sermon actually is God With Us, Part 2, because on Christmas Eve, the sermon was uh, God With Us, Part 1, and we looked at the reason that Jesus came at all. One of the um, names that, is, that Jesus is called is Emmanuel, which is just Hebrew for God with us. And so he is born to be with us. And yet, even after his, uh, his death, which enables us to be with him, he is raised to life again to be with us. You see how this works. God with us is what Jesus is all about. And the only other thing that I think is um, that we have to mention this morning is when we hear that phrase, God with us, we need to be very, very careful. Because right now, and the world has always been this way, but right now it seems particularly <laughs> uh, harsh this way. And that we have so many ways of dividing everybody up into us and them. And it might be really easy to hear God with us and think, yes, with us, not with them. 
And that is not what this means. The us that is here is humanity. Humanity of every tribe, of every tongue, of every uh, ethnicity, of every race, of every age, of every socioeconomic class, of every gender, of every political party, of every way we try to divide ourselves. The us includes all of us. That Jesus came for you, for me, for you, for you, for you, for all of the yous in all of the world. And so, this is why his command isn't go make disciples of all the people who think just like you. Make disciples of everybody, of all nations, of all peoples. Here's how to do it. I know it's too big for you, but I'm with you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.